Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. Barnes and Noble, and it's in paperback. So, 
Tisha, what do you got for us today? Well, I, you know, I thought the book, she had said that I was going to be one of the characters in one of her books, and I thought for sure that she had put me in this book. So I'm like, whoa, she's talking about me? <laughs> uh, uh, terrific uh, title. Terrific title for me. But sadly, she said, no, not this book. And I'm like, oh, all right. Well, the next one better be many deranged women because I would totally fit that. Yes, you do. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, okay, what do we got today? Oh, my gosh. Uh, we have limited time, ladies and gentlemen, and I wish I could fit the world into this hour, but we can't. Uh, so let's just get to it with the headlines that we have going on. So much, so much. Okay, so uh, one, of the <laughs> one of the big things that uh, happened this week was the State of the Union uh, speech for yeah. President Obama this year, and you know there there is so much that we could say about it that could fill up the next day or two just with commentary. But I wanted to I wanted to touch touch on a couple of things based on his continuing promotion of the Unaffordable Lack of Care and Patient Victimization Act, also known as uh, the name by the opposite words of unaffordable and lack of care and patient and victimization. Uh, so <laughs> I remember, uh, in two, remember in 2009 and 2010, you know, he hasn't departed from this, so I want you to keep that in mind, specifically coming off of his State of the Union uh, speech. I remember in 2009 and 2010, which was not that long ago, and, you know, it surprises me when people completely forget things that only happened really just mere months ago. Um, that's when people of conscience tried to alert about how Obamacare would pave the way to taxpayer-funded abortions. And most of the public was rather silent I think because we had to pass it in order to find out what was in it. Uh, right. Despite everybody having, despite there had been people that read the 2,000 pounds, I mean 2,000 page monstrosity. And yeah. Nancy Pelosi herself said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, you know, let's pass it before we find out what's in it. And she and all the liberal Democrats had said to the suggestion that there would be taxpayer-funded abortion. And what did they say? Don't be ridiculous. Yep, that's we what they said. We have the Hyde Amendment. You know, the Hyde Amendment that they've been trying to get rid of since, right. oh, since 2005, I think, they've been trying to get rid of it saying that it's outdated, it's already years old, and blah, blah, blah. Let's try to get rid of it. It's out of date. Well, they haven't gotten rid of it yet, but their idea of trying to quell fears about taxpayer-funded abortions was to say, no, 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 we have the Hyde Amendment, so no, we can't fund abortions through taxpayer funds. No, of course not. Don't be ridiculous, you silly pro-lifer. Well, don't listen to what they say. Listen to what 
they do, and what they do speaks volumes because this week this article came out talking about how the Obama administration, and even before it even gets there, in the House and Senate, the Obama administration has said that it would veto a bill that was put up, passed by the House this week to completely ban taxpayer funding of abortions. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean when the administration says it would veto, that the president would veto a bill banning abortions, banning, I'm sorry, banning funding for abortions uh, when the government is technically not allowed to spend money to fund them in the first place? What do, you do you want me to answer that, that question? Sure, take a shot at it. It means that, once again, through his executive orders, if he can't get his way, he's going to do an in-round-around the constant. Well, I mean, that goes without saying for everything that he's been doing. But what about specifically yep. this? So this is what, now remember, this is what Nancy Pelosi and all the liberal Democrats says, no, 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 we, we have the Hyde Amendment. There is no way we can fund abortions through taxpayer dollars. It means they found the other way to do it. And they found a way to do it, and they're going to try to defeat a bill that is put up by House Republicans in order to make sure they can't. So it is a lie. Yes, we do have the Hyatt Amendment, but it is a lie that Congress cannot fund abortions using taxpayer dollars because they found a way, and that way is through Obamacare. Yep. So they are caught. Okay, so people are wondering how this is going to go down, and it's very simple. Congress technically is not paying for abortions out of their taxpayer revenue, generated taxpayer-generated revenue. They're having the taxpayers pay for abortions through individual insurance. Right. Basically, the insurance policy that every American is supposed to have covers the cost of abortions, whether you have a uterus or not. Go figure. But whether you have a uterus or not, you are paying a certain portion of your insurance premiums to fund abortions for those who do have a uterus and want to use your money to pay for their abortions. And that's how it is going to be done. And it's going to be done through subsidies of an undisclosed nature. So what the House has done has gone around and closed up all of these loopholes that Obamacare has created and said there is not going to be these subsidies for, ob- for abortion. There is, we're going to close down the ability for taxpayer money to be used to somehow fund abortion even through a third-party source. 
and the and how we know those sources are there, those third-party sources are there, and how those loopholes are there, because the president said he would veto such a bill. And that's how we know. That's how we know. Right. And speaking of, speaking of, let's let's take it another step further. I mean, Obamacare is just you know this treasure chest full of wrong, because <laughs> uh, we find other things to talk about. Um, which is the other pro-life issue that we talk about frequently concerning Obamacare, and that is the existence of death panels. Oh, yes, another issue that liberals have come around and said, don't be ridiculous. Gee, I wonder if we've heard that before. Oh, yeah, about abortion and funding. Yeah, uh-huh. don't be ridiculous. No one's going to set up a death panel, stupid conservative, don't be ridiculous, Uh, Sarah Palin's an idiot. Well, really, we have had confirmation that we have shared on this show before of Paul Krugman specifically talking about how we're going to fund all this health care for an expanded population that is now going to be insured and taking advantage of their insurance benefits, how that's all going to be paid for? He says death panels and rationing. I mean, there's no other way around it. Now, he kind of said it tongue-in-cheek because uh, people were looking for a different answer and so kind of, uh, kind of slipped out there that he wanted to say this, but he didn't want people to take him seriously because he would be taken to the woodshed for it. But really, was he talking about the truth or wasn't he? Well, now he's not alone. Mark Halperin, who is the senior political analyst for Time Magazine and MSNBC, was recently on a radio program, and this is what he had to say. Very interesting. And I wasn't able to get this up on our switchboard, so I apologize for the sound, but here we go. This is what he says. In addition, for many of the same reasons, not about bias, but simply about resources and judgment about what was important. All right. Well, I mean, I, I think a lot of people said that, you know, you, you weren't going to be able to keep your health care. But also, um, you know, I think they focused on the death panels, which, which will be coming. Call them what you will. Rationing no, is part I, of it. I, and I, I agree. It's huge. It's going to be a huge issue, and that's something else about which the president was not fully forthcoming and, and straightforward. Right, so you believe that there will be rationing, a.k.a. death panels? It's built into the plan. It's not, it's not, like, it's not like a guess or like a judgment. That's, that's, that's going to be part of how costs are controlled. Yeah, okay. Well, but, 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 I, but I'll say something else about that issue, which is we do need to do some of that in this country because we can't afford to spend so much on end-of-life care. A very high percentage of our health care spending is for a very small number of people. All right. Now, I'm not sure if you caught all that. I'm going to repeat some of it. Uh, he said, well, the host of the, of the radio program, um, Mark, Mark uh, I'm sorry, Steve Malzberg, I almost said Mark Halpern, a lot of people said you weren't going to be able to keep your health care, but they also focused on the death panels, which will be coming. Call them what you will. Rationing is part of it. And Halpern goes on to say, no, I agree. And that's going to be a huge issue. And that's something else on which the president was not fully forthcoming and straightforward. And Mossberg replies, so you believe there will be rationing, a.k.a. death panels? Prin responds, oh, it's built into the plan. 
it's not like a guess or like a judgment. That's going to be a part of how costs are controlled. Ladies and gentlemen, the Obamacare rationing uh, panels, or death panels, or as IPAB has been called, because it's the cost, con- cost containment panel, is going to be the death panel. As much as people in last year or the year before denied that that's what it was for and denied the existence of death panels in Obamacare, hey, 2,000 pages and it's not there, you better tell me something else, man. And here we have the senior political analyst for Time Magazine and MSNBC are basically admitting to it openly that it is in there. And the president, yes, has, I would go so far as to say he shielded it, lied about it, that it wasn't there. He went, he sent people out into the media to tell us all that conservatives who were concerned about it are ridiculous and lied to all our faces and said it wasn't there. Of course it's there. It has to be. There is no two ways about it. And for some of you liberals out there, yeah, Sarah Palin is still wrong because you hate her. And uh, did I lose you, Thomas? <laughs> nope, I'm just listening. All right. I'm just listening. Okay. And our uh, our third main focus that we have today is on that one story of that tragic abortion. Let's call it what it is: abortion of a of a baby from uh, out of a woman named Remy Jolie, who was forced to have an abortion by her boyfriend at the time, Andrew Weldon, who happened to be. Now, this is a story. If you haven't heard, um, it's pretty famous. So. I think a lot of people have heard it, but what happened is her boyfriend had slipped her some Cytotec, which is uh, known to cause abortions, cause miscarriages in women who are pregnant. And he lied to her and said, oh, they're antibiotics because his father was a pharmacist. And so he did not want the baby, but she did. But regardless of who wanted the baby, he went and took it a step further and gave her the drugs, and she miscarried. And today, this week, I'm sorry, this week a judge ruled, because he went to trial, for to be the very first person to be convicted under the Unborn Victims of Violence Act. Wow, it's been years since that law has been passed. And he's the very first person to have been convicted. Why? Because I think there's plenty, not because I don't think that anyone else has murdered their girlfriend's babies or their wife's babies or some girl's babies uh, without her express permission, knowledge, or complicity. But uh, the fact that this was such a clear-cut case where this law would apply now, I'm sure that law, liberal lawmakers fought tooth and nail to, to try to make this apply, and I'm sure the state had a very difficult time. Um, but I don't. at the end of the day, I don't think they had a choice. So what happened was that initially the judge was going to give him 13 months, I think. 
13 months house arrest for house imprisonment, which I thought was like, what? <laughs> 13 months for the death of an, a child and such distress given to the mother of the child who really clearly wanted the baby. But the trial went ahead, and I'm not sure about the details of how it went ahead, but at the end, thank goodness, the judge convicted him of of the unborn victims of violence and received, let's see, what did he receive? I think it's not 13 months, or maybe it was maybe longer than that, but I'm eight down, years. Going down, I think it was eight. It was eight. No, 14. Well, 13 I years I and 18 I... months. I mean, sorry, 13 okay. years and eight months. 13 years okay. and eight months in prison. Very interesting. Now, I mean, I can't. I just on a legal level alone. This is a very interesting case, and let me make it boring for you for just a minute, uh, because here we have a law, the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, which we know directly is, is in a direct collision course with legal abortion, legal abortion in this country. The, the Roe v. Wade ruling and Doe v. Bolton ruling Set the tone in this the legal tone in this country that the unborn aren't persons. They aren't persons. Therefore, uh, the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, in basic philosophy, is completely contradictory to the idea that the unborn aren't persons. Right. And so what did Weldon's lawyer do? He argued, actually. He argued on the basis of Roe v. Wade that his client, Andrew Weldon, should be, should not be prosecuted, should be let go uh, from, from prosecution. So, um, so here's the difficulty. The judge looked at him. This is the story of the story of the, um, the court proceeding. He looked at the lawyer and asked him, "Well, how does this apply to a case uh, where a woman wants to keep the baby? You know, how does that give a man the right to end the life of a child if a woman isn't complicit? How does that make it her decision?" And the lawyer said, well, it doesn't. And based on that, because it was clearly, you know, his line of argumentation was false. He was saying, oh, uh, Roe v. Wade, uh, and, and he couldn't support what he was saying. The judge, I think, finally, because of his incompetency, threw the book at his client. But here's how it would have gone if Andrew Weldon's lawyer were a little smarter. And I said, and I think that he could have had a case for getting his client off if he had acted on the basis of the fact that if if the unborn are not considered persons, then Andrew Weldon did not kill anybody. 
And since abortion is legal, abortion by itself is legal for anybody. There is no law that says you have to get the consent of a woman in order to perform an abortion in order for it to be legal. I think it's implied through our laws that it would not be legal and not be acceptable and you could be prosecuted under the Unborn Victims of Violence Act. But truly, the Unborn Victims of Violence Act was written to include two victims of violence. So, hearkening back to the Scott Peterson case in California, where domestic violence not only claims the life of a mother, but also, if she's pregnant, also of the child. So, in those cases, because, because of that, that's why this law was passed, so that the criminals, criminal involved the murderer of the woman could also be charged with the murder of the unborn child. This is the first of its kind in this case, where the woman was not the target of violence, but her unborn child. Now, this is where I'm thankful that Weldon's lawyer wasn't smarter than this. This is how he could have argued, and I think I just think that it could have been compelling. And I wouldn't be surprised in the future if someone didn't try it. Now that the cat's out of the bag, somebody might try it in the future. Uh, So here's the point of all this, of explaining how the law could be worked against the 2004 Unborn Victims of Violence Act, uh, is that we have a collision course is a major, major collision course in our abortion law. We have court cases versus legislation. And eventually everything becomes a court case. Everything has to be arbitrated by our Supreme Court eventually, I know. But right now we have two colliding trains. Our laws about abortion are completely schizophrenic. I have hardly... Uh, a clue how judges with no moral ethical grounding about abortion would be able to decide in favor of justice in these cases. Basically, it's the roll of the dice. It depends on the person sitting on the bench. And ultimately, as things go along, it depends on the on a Supreme Court. It could be it could be that Andrew Weldon wants to appeal this all the way up to the Supreme Court. I think it's possible, and we'll see what happens. I don't think we're out of the woods on this yet, but I'm thankful that the judge decided to find him guilty. So uh, things, sign of things, things to come, ladies and gentlemen, the sign of things to come. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break and be right back with our guest, He's going to share us share with us uh, something huge that we're starting on this program. We're going to incorporate stories of men who have lost children through abortion, and far from being silent, we want them, we want all these fathers, and to share their stories. I know as painful it is, but we are going to go through that because people do need to know, 
and get to the right screen. We will be right back. Welcome back to Pro-Life Fridays. If you'd like to call into the program, our lines are open. The number to call in is 760-542-3907. And I'd like to welcome our guest on, Pastor Bruce Rivers, who's here to talk about his story. And he has a magnificent story. We don't have a lot of time, so we're going to get right to it. Uh, Pastor Rivers, how are you today? I'm doing well. Can you hear me all right? Yes, I yes. can. How are you, Pastor? Hey, Thomas, how you doing, little brother? And, 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 and God bless you for what you guys are doing. I've been listening to the first half hour, and I'm totally excited. And uh, well, thank you for this great opportunity. And, and, and You're Leticia, very welcome. May I say, Leticia, may I say, when my book comes out, you, you, you will be in my book, and it's not fiction. Amen. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, flattering the host will get you many places. Let me tell oh, you. Oh, come on, girl. I know how to do this. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. And Thomas, and Thomas, of course, you'll be in it too, my brother. Don't, don't think I forget oh. about you, man. Amen. I'd rather stay behind the scenes and be here. <laughs> it's all good. Amen. Somebody got to be behind the throne, and you seem like you're supporting Mr. Trisha very well. Thank you. Once again, thank oh, yeah. you for being, being allowing me to be on the show. You're very welcome. welcome. You're very welcome indeed. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, uh, mm-hmm. let's go first 
your your personal history. Now, I, I mentioned to our audience you have a very mm-hmm. personal history uh, with with abortion, and um, just tell us a little bit of your story and how difficult uh, it has been for you, and then what you think how difficult it is for men in general to talk about abortion. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to, like I say, start from the beginning. That's how my sister, Hadassah, would say, how do you eat an elephant one mm-hmm. bite at a time, amen? So here's the first bite. Uh, my name is Pastor Bruce Rivers. I, I live in central California in Los Banos, over the Central Valley. I'm the pastor of the Greater Exodus Baptist Church, uh, the Western Mission. We are uh, a Western Mission outreach, new church plant, through Greater Exodus Baptist Church, where my pastor is my best friend and brother, Pastor Reverend Dr. Herbert H. Luss, out of Philadelphia. And uh, we've been working together since we've been in the seventh grade, amen? So so Pastor Luss is my pastor, and we're, we're developing a, a ministry based on faith, freedom, and personal responsibility uh, in a biblical context. So... To the story, uh, growing up on a beautiful Monterey Peninsula uh, in Seaside, California, uh, played a little football and uh, got into some things. I was up at a college up in the Oakland area. And, and let, 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 me, let me backtrack just a little bit. Uh, I, I shared with the people at the March for Life uh, on Saturday and, uh, and on Friday and Saturday, I was uh, one of the co-speakers with Pastor Clendard Childress and Pastor Moss, Walter Moss out of Ohio. And I told them my, my, tip, my message is not a typical pro-life message, mainly because I'm not a typical pro-life messenger. My, I, I shared a story about a woman I met, uh, how she was married to a U.S. soldier, Frederick, and uh, she had a little boy, and she was living in Philadelphia in 1955. While her husband was overseas serving his country, she hooked up with another guy from down in the country, and uh, she she was with child, and and her family and friends told her to visit a Margaret Sanger Stowers clinic. We all know who Margaret is, Amen. She she bamboozled us from the get go, Amen. Especially those of us in the African American and the brown and black community, I like to say. And so uh, as as we continue to get this message out. Um, that's what we need to focus on. So before Frederick came home, her family tried to get her to go there, and she she decided to go visit South Carolina and uh, hide out, figure out what to do. And while she was there, she had another little boy, amen, and four months and ten days later, she went back to Philly. Well, she left that little boy with her cousin Loretta and uh, her husband Johnny, and uh, her name was Miss Tommy Jane McDonald. And she told me this story in September 2012, mm-hmm. and, and she died in November 2012. And, and I want all of our listeners to know that lady was my mother. Uh, who Amen. I met. Yeah, wow. yeah. She, so my story comes around and not even knowing what was going on. And I, I, I'm an adopted child and didn't know it until I was 51 years old. Amen. And, oh. and what had Yeah, yeah. What had happened... They tried to get my mother to take me out through Margaret, who I know nothing about. Amen. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you segue to twenty years later in college. Uh, I'm up in 
Lady Junior College in Oakland and playing football, hanging with the Raiders. You know, I'm a Raider fan till I die. Amen. Uh, I think if you cut me, I bleed silver and black. Amen. So we, you know, I I would go back to Seaside. I had a girlfriend there, and, uh, well, unbeknownst to me, she got pregnant. And I didn't know. She, I got a scholarship, went to Cal State Northridge in uh, 76, and she, I went home one weekend to see her, and she told me, you know, by the way, uh, I had an abortion, and I went to this mm-hmm. place in Monterey. I didn't even, and you know, now you got to think, in 73, the name changed from the Negro Project mm-hmm. to Planned Parenthood, okay? Had no idea what Planned Parenthood was. They were in Monterey, probably one of the only places where they didn't have a clinic in Seaside, which was a minority community. But they did have it in Monterey, right up the street from the high school, Monterey High. And so she told me that, and I said, well, at least she could have called me and told me. I said, well, if it happens again, at least let me know. Well, lo and behold, it did happen again. And she did mm-hmm. call. I did drive her from L.A., and I tried to talk her into, let's keep the baby, because she did have a son already. Well, she said she couldn't do it. I cried. I begged. And she said, I can't do it. So you got to take me. So Saturday morning, she'd already made the appointment. Uh I didn't get up and take her. I figured if well if I would at least not take her, she'll see how much I want the baby and we can start our lives together and so on. And so I didn't hear from her all day Saturday. I didn't hear from her Sunday, so I drove back to Los Angeles. Two weeks later, I came back again and found out that that night, after going through with the process, she rode the bus, came home and began to hemorrhage and almost died uh, that night from the mm. way they didn't soar upright. So Wow. Uh, so at that point I came and her father came out of the house and, and it you know, I was I was a DJ back then and uh the Nome de Plume teddy bear and and she she her father came out and told me I can't I don't talk like that anymore, but he told me to keep my record player playing A off that hill. Don't ever come to this house again. Well it could have ended there. I actually continued to talk to her, tried to get her to move to Southern California, got her a job at the university where I was going, um, and went and got her and her son. She came down, did the interview, got the job, and went back home to pack, but never came. So that was the end of our life together. Um, then in 2007, I met another lady, Star Parker, who I'm sure you're all familiar with. Star yes. uh, became a good good friend. I traveled with her for a while as her community affairs director. And lo and behold, we went to a conference at my brother's church in Philadelphia, a learned conference with Dr. Johnny Hunter, Dr. Clenard. And right. I, I actually got put on a panel. I was with, sitting with Dr. Alveda King, and I was kind of honored. You know, I didn't really know what, what I was doing there except helping star. And they put me on a panel, and they asked a question that probably changed my life uh, that day. Uh, the question was, how has abortion affected you in your community where you live? Well, I, of course, I never thought about mine. This is 30-some years later, of course, uh, mm-hmm. 32 years to be exact. And I listened to Dr. Alveda King on the stage talk about her abortions and what had happened in her life. I listened to two other women talk and another pastor. And when my turn came to answer the question, I literally bolted from the stage. I just ran because I realized 
after hearing all that, I had severed my own bloodline. I uh, didn't mm. even understand it and didn't have any children. And I ran, and I'll never forget a, a pretty good-sized fella, uh, but a gentleman about 6'5", he leapt up, and he caught me, and he hugged me like a little baby and told me it's going to be all right. That was the defining wow. moment in my life of wow. understanding what abortion had done to me. Uh, and I became, I still didn't know. And then Starr introduced me to a book called Fatherhood Aborted, uh, written by mm-hmm. Guy Condon and David Hazard, probably the premier book. So I started looking for, you know, the Internet was alive, looking for stuff to help me through what I'm going through. But this one book defines some things in my life, and it's not in print really anymore because Mr. Condon passed away, but there are some limited copies. And I suggest any man under the sound of my voice uh, go online, and if you can get a copy, it will bless you. I learned about male post-abortion trauma. And after mm-hmm. now it has been 39 years, and you don't even realize you suffer from this stuff. But there's on, on page uh, number four, talks about the aftershocks, and there's a short laundry list of things that I began to identify with. Difficulty with commitment, dodging authority, having no mm-hmm. solid sense of identity, even though I was who I was, uh, uh, working to impress moral leaders, keeping women at bay, having trouble bonding, fearing impending tragedy, and don't even own my own mistakes, and, and feeling mm-hmm. inadequate as a leader. So I, I, I found myself realizing I had suffered through many of these things. And, and, and then I look up and said, wow, even though I've grown up in church, even though I've sang in the choirs, even though I've traveled, even though I've, I know God and, and had a, a relationship, and even through my bad days when uh, – going to prison and, 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 and being drug addicted on the road with Natalie Cole and, and having one of those lives that some people just dream about. Amen. I, uh, I mm. woke up one day in, in, in Delano prison and, you know, with nothing to my name and, and in 1999. And, and it's like, what in the heck is going on with my life? And, and then here you go, 2007, I really find out what I believe is why. There's a great story called My Heart, Christ Home. And look that one up. It's, it's a story about a man, a poem that a man invited Christ into his life and into his mm-hmm. home. And he, and he tells how he took Christ from room to room to room and into the kitchen, into the living room, into the game room, into the family room, into the bedroom. And after he got everything cleaned up that he he thought, wow, it's acceptable for Jesus to see that, you know. Uh, he he went to work one day, he said, he came home, and Christ was sitting on the porch. And, and he, Christ said, he said, well, what's wrong, Jesus? He said, well, I, I can't go in the house anymore. He said, well, why? He said, there's a smell in there. He said, there's a stink, and it's coming from that closet at the end of the hallway. And every man under the sound of my voice right now, if you have done this thing, if you are poster board, if you never confess this thing to anybody or, or especially to God, you've got that closet with that thing in there that's stinking up your house. And Christ mm-hmm. is saying, I want to go in that closet and help you clean it. And the gentleman talked about, no, no, Jesus, you, you can't go in that closet. 
That's just mm-hmm. too deep in there. He said, well, I, I promised you I would clean everything in your life. And he said, but Jesus, it's just too dark. He said, well, if I can't go in the closet, I can't come back in the house. Oh, my God. Do, do, you, do you understand if the Bible says once you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom? So, so if you look back, if you, if you cannot understand how Christ wants your whole life as a Christian, then, 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 then you will lose him. I mean, because he can be where no sin is. So I, one day I threw open the closet and I let Jesus go in the closet and he has cleaned it. Oh, yes, I, I am a close and father. I have no biological heirs, but then God in his mercy gave me a great wife in Emily and, and her children. And had a, had another girlfriend that passed away, and her children. And, and thanks be to God, I have 24 children that use my new name. It ain't Teddy Bear no more; it's Papa Bear. Amen. And so I've got I've got grandchildren everywhere. Amen. That that, that love me. And even certainly. my daughter, my daughter, who 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 who, who her, had her last child at three years old, she honored me with his name being Amari Jamel Bruce Edward Rivers Turner. So I, I, I may not have the physical aspect of my name, but my my name does carry out the legacy still mm-hmm. is strong and true. And, and I just want to, and, 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 and Leticia, I, I can't can thank you enough for this launching pad that you have provided today. Uh, my, my book is, should be out by the summer. And the book is called No More Rivers because there are no more rivers in the physical, but there are many rivers to come in the in the spiritual, amen, and what God has, wow. has set me on a path to do, to go after men. And, and, and I said with, with great joy at the march in Oakland, we opened up the floor, just like, I, once again, I'm a preacher, so, you know, when you invite me to the party, you got to let me dance the way I dance. And then I, I, I preached the gospel, and I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I will always do, about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior. And I invited men that were there under the sound of my voice in front of the Oakland City Hall, where I had come back to from back in 1975, when all this mm-hmm. first hit, I invited men to lift their hands and say, I am post-aborted and I want to be set free. And if wow. there's men out there that are saying yeah. that, you can, you can call into this show or you can, you can go to Pastor Bruce E. Rivers on Facebook. You can go to Business, B-I-Z-N-E-S-S Chaplain on Twitter. You can go to Greater Exodus Baptist Church on Facebook. And you can tell me, because I'm looking for people and men that are willing to share their story and be set free. So that's the whole thing in a nutshell. Now, if you got any, I'll stop talking now and let you guide me, my sister. But thank you so much. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you for for sharing such a big part of your your experience in your life. So tell us, you know, during this time where you – where you did not consider uh, what had abortion actually done to you, were you concerned at all about uh, just 
have not having ever dealt with it, not ever grieved the loss, and and how does that reflect on other men? And I know, and talk to please talk to us about how hard it is to talk about, you know, the abortion issue uh, among men. Well, well, I, you know, I, I found in the last six seven years, you know, we we are the forgotten entity, amen. You know, and, I, and I'm not saying, believe me, I've, I've dealt with women in, in, in my life here in the, in the last few years that have went through it, and there, there's so much, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, support for the ladies, right. amen, the different pregnancies. And my brother, after her, he opened the first pregnancy, one of the first pregnancy centers in the city of Philadelphia against 218 abortion clinics. Right. The same city where I was born. That was my birthplace, and so we've got this thing. And, and then our government, you know, sad to say, our 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 our, our African American president, who you know, a lot of people wanted to do so many things, uh, provide this and provide that. When I met him when he was a senator, uh, he told us he was okay with certain things that were not biblical. So I I was not on his team from the get go. I get called a whole lot of names now. I, I've been called Uncle Ruckus and, and a whole lot of names. Folks tell me they, they don't know me. They and I'm not the Bruce. I said, Well I'm I'm not. I I am not that Bruce, amen. And and I'm not ashamed to say I'm not. I'm not mad at him. I'm not angry at him. I'm I pray for him that the Lord will change his heart. Because without mm-hmm. his heart being changed to God, you know. He got in the office first day and he signed the thing to take a partial birth abortion away. But but men are hurting and don't even know they're hurting, sis. I, I, I right. understand it. I'm, I'm almost 60 years old, and I understand that some of us have never talked. I, I can share one, there's not his name, but a gentleman on the phone, another pastor who we were sharing some things about doing things for our young people and uh, a, a boot camp type program, and I happened to mention, oh, by the way, I'm writing a book, and it's going to be on this and that, and I went on off again, and Five minutes later, he started weeping. And I said, what's wrong, mm. man? He said, "He said, brother, you just set me free. What do you mean? Mm. He said, you didn't, you didn't even, he said, you, you allowed me to understand I had never confessed. I paid for five. Wow. And never told anybody. And now I realize, he said, I have children, but they had five more that mm-hmm. are not here now. And, but they, wow. you know, we know they're in heaven. But the Bible is clear. The Bible said God hates hands that shed innocent blood. That's right. And then it also said that Cain and Abel, the blood cried out from the ground. So the blood is crying out from the ground of, of 56 million babies, black and white and brown, and all these babies. And here we are, uh, what, what do we, we till, till men realize, especially us church men, these Christian mm-hmm. men, and these pastors that are running around holding out and not telling these men, hey, we gotta we gotta be men at every day of our life. And, and 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 a lot of men that have had issues, if you could trace it back, you probably trace it back to the fact that they they got a lump in their life, a pain, they got a growth down there, a root that's choking them out from right. being where they need to be. Yeah, that's that's the message I'm getting ready to tell men. And I was able to start telling in Oakland and now able to do here. And we're we're putting a radio show together of our own in the book. And, and that's why I say I can't thank you enough, Letitia. Amen. I, I can't thank Amen. you enough, Dwayne, for being here. Well, the Lord here. provides. Yes. 
And in due season, he said, if we faint not, so it's time, amen, and he's calling men back to be the rightful head of the house and the rightful head and position, and that ain't got nothing to do with putting no woman down, okay? I had a woman right. scream in my ear wow. in Oakland that we were lying wow. to women. She said, you're lying. Abortion doesn't hurt any woman. I looked at her and I said, baby, abortion hurts everybody. It hurt me. And when I said that, it was like I, it, it, I could have reached out and slapped her with it because she was like, she didn't know what to go from there. Mm-hmm. I said, it hurt me. My children are gone. So so we've got to be bold enough. Look, I was bold enough when I was in the game and in the party. If I wanted to have a party, I was I stand up on the table and tell everybody the party's at my mm-hmm. house. But, but the party is at the Lord's house, amen? And, and the mm-hmm. church must be responsible enough to respond to what God is doing. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to preach the gospel, to to set at liberty them that are captive. And there's some folks locked up in this thing. So, yeah, there's men out there. Go ahead. Yes, and I think you raise a very good... Uh, point that um, out in the you know, out in public we, we have a big enough problem dealing with how to heal from abortion for men and women. You know, men are are pretty much uh, ignored in this entire loss, but in the church as well, it is a a much much bigger problem than people acknowledge. It is not even acknowledged. How do we get churches to start overcoming? Uh, the shame about even talking about abortion. How well, well let, let me take you back to another little story. Uh, how many of you kids, how many of you on listening remember playing Superman? Remember putting that towel around your neck and jumping off the stuff in the backyard as a child? And you remember rushing home after school to watch the, the, the evening cartoons and, and the cartoon with Clark Kent, somebody, something would happen and they would say, this is a job for Superman. And Clark Kent would run in the phone booth and turn out and fly up and take care of everything. Well, I'm going to tell you today, this is a job for Jesus. It won't happen without a move of God. And God is ready to move. But his preachers, the ones that are called by him, the ones that are anointed by him, must forget the shame, some of them probably, because we had two preachers at our pastor's conference that, that, that shared that. Amen? Bishop, Bishop Harry Jackson. Uh, Arnold Culbreth, all these great men of God that that are that are, that I'm being mentored by and, and following in the foot, they've been in this pro-life game a whole lot longer than I have. But 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 see, life belongs to God, and 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 and, and especially us, us African people and and, and 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 Hispanic people and and just people in general, we've been lied to. We have an adversary, and the devil has mm-hmm. told us that all this is okay. It's okay, women. I don't have a problem with a woman choosing something, but how can a woman out-choose God? God chose to allow the sperm to fertilize the egg. Because if he didn't do it, I mean, since I haven't had any more kids, it ain't like I haven't laid down, amen? So uh, the eggs haven't been fertilized, amen? So it, I, when the sperm hits the egg, I'm, I'm going straight biology, amen. When the sperm yes, hits sir. the egg, come on now, it, it goes in, and then and when it when it when God decides to let that egg grow, so why are we killing it? 
everything that's in, if I look at Dwayne, if I can see Dwayne right now with, with the way his head is shaped, the way his hair is, I, I haven't seen your picture yet, Letitia, but everything that you are right now was in that egg. The moment that egg was fertilized by your father's sperm, and it had no outside interference at that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how can how, and so so it well, it's, it's in the moment of conception. We we I'm, I'm not going to argue that. I'm just going to tell them the truth. If you don't want to deal with it, that's on you. Uh, ain't no argument. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not going to tell you twice. God He says some things twice because He wanted us to hear it. Faith comes by hearing. If you don't believe that, there's nothing I can do or say. If God doesn't change your heart, then you've got to recognize you can be set free today. From from mm-hmm. Blog Talk Radio, from Pro Life Friday, you can live. You can you can write the day down that you said I got set free on Friday, January the thirty first, the last the last day of the month of Sanctuary of Life, Sanctity of Life month in the year mm-hmm. two thousand and fourteen. I got set free, and if you if that's you today. Let's let's roll together. You know what I mean? Let's 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 mm-hmm. and all the people that will be cheering on Sunday at a football game. The Bible says heaven rejoices when one comes. So we had two on Friday. So I'm looking for I don't know how many more today, but I'm looking for you. Letitia's looking for you. Dwayne Thomas is looking for you. So we're all looking for you. I'm just talking to the people, girl. I mean, they, this is serious business. I don't know how number of time I got left, but while I'm here, I'm going to do what God told me to do. Right, as all of us. I'm going to be a foghorn. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be a foghorn. I'm going to. Thank you. I, 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 you can see my passion. I'm excited. I don't know if I can make it past tomorrow, but I know that I've done what I'm supposed to do today. Tomorrow's not promised. You know, I, I know we're under attack. The devil is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. But we forget there's a comma after that that says, but I come, that you might have life. There it is again, life and life more abundantly. So, so this, this life we have, you know, let, let's, just, let's just come on and do it. Girl, I've really got three minutes left. I done ran my mouth. I feel good, though, I tell you. I'm thankful to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think your book is ready to come out when again? Tell everybody about that. It'll be out out right before the summer. Amen. Uh, And I'm I'm in the stage of writing. I'm looking for a publisher and all that good stuff. I have to do it myself, praise God. I've got some great people helping me. My sister, Hadassah Thomas, she she wrote a book called uh, About Forgiveness. And uh, of course, my brother Pastor Herb and Star and, and Pastor Walter Hoy—they have been—they've been pushing me, and I, I just don't know how to write. I'm a talker, so they got me some stuff that allows me to talk, and they will type for me. Praise God! So I'm ready. <laughs> oh, I don't think you have anything to worry about that. I think it's going to be Amen. Thank you, thank God, you. Don't forget visit Pastor, Pastor Bruce C. Rivers at Facebook. Very nice. Uh, and I'm going to ask my my co-host if either of you have anything to ask for our wonderful guest today. <laughs> and they fall silent. Oh. <laughs> What's that? Did I say everything? Y'all ain't got no questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said a whole lot. I'm, I've been blessed. Um, this is Melissa Pastor Rivers. So oh. I'm totally blessed to um, to hear your awesome testimony and really pray that it, it encourages and blesses a lot of people. Um, 
Thank you for being so transparent. Thank you, Melissa. I didn't, I didn't even know Melissa was there. Amen. Yeah, I kind of snuck oh, in. <laughs> okay, okay, you slid in. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Do you do you think that um do you think that um uh or what do you think are the reasons that more men are not uh, opening up about this issue and um, not uh, sharing it? Well, we, we've been taught to hold our mud. You know, we've been taught that men ain't supposed to cry. We've been taught all that stuff. Now, look, I, I, I believe me, I ain't, I ain't no doily. You know, in the church, I'm gonna say this. I'm not gonna tick somebody off. The church, the church has been, the church has been feminized. Okay, God, mm-hmm. you know, at the, the feminist aspect that came through the 70s and the 60s. You know, with the women's liberation movement. Look, Jesus mm-hmm. liberated woman when he liberated woman at the well that day. Okay, mm-hmm. he set her free right there. That was, so it was happening long before these women, and I believe it's a trigger the devil. I call it what it is, you know, because my wife is is uh, my wife ain't no joke, and she walks beside me. She I can't make her walk behind me, and she'll take off sometime and I have to grab her and pull her back. Amen. But but she is powerful in all she does, and, and, and all the other. But my mama was strong. My my mama strongly supported my dad for fifty years before he died. I watched mm-hmm. that. Then I realized, like I say, about adoption, I didn't understand anything about that either until it happened to me. And I woke up one day and I said, my dad let me live in this house after with 20 years of drug addiction. And so he loved me enough not to put me out. That was a strong man. Mm-hmm. He could have put me out at any time. And, and he cared for me. And he was dead and gone before I could say thank you. For what he allowed in my life, my mama, and then I met my mama, and I thank God for her. I ain't got no bitterness. I know something. Oh man, I'm ticked off. I ain't mad at nothing. But I had a great dad, and I had other men in my life. All of them didn't teach me what I probably, you know, want to hold on to. But praise God, you know, I've learned from the bad that I don't want to do that right. no more. You know. Right. Right. So, what but would I, you yeah. Say? My last my last question is what would you say because we've had people come on this show before and said um, I couldn't possibly have a child I, it would have just ruined my life and men men who have said that I could I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been able to have a child justifying their abortion it would have ruined my life and uh, they're 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 defending their choice to support uh, an abortion in their life. You know, just briefly okay. speak. What what do you? How do you counsel a person like that? How do you, how how do you tell the Almighty God? How how do you tell the Almighty God I can't have a child, or population control, or whatever? We because of all the poverty and all the stuff going on nowadays. Look, my father was a military man. He took care of me and my mother. Uh, I, I ran with folks that had more than I did. I ran with some that had less than I did. In the African-American community, there was always room at the table at somebody's house. Okay? And, and for any man to buy that lie, because that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's exactly what I tell them. It's, it's a lie that you can't have a child. Amen? <laughs> I wanted them and didn't have them. Oh, my issues that I, that I went through, uh, one woman told me one time, and I don't know if she did have the abortion or not, but she told me she was pregnant, but she was going to have the, not have the baby because she couldn't bring a baby into a relationship because I was a junkie. 
I don't mm-hmm. know if she did or not. And, and maybe she told me that time to help me get straight up. It didn't work because I kept getting high. But and then she went on about her life. So, but so so those kind of things. So I I just dealing with the two that I know about. I don't have anybody. Mm-hmm. But what God has given me today, I got everybody else's kids. Everybody else called me Uncle Uncle Teddy Bear, Uncle Papa Bear, whatever. And that's a beautiful <laughs> thing. But any man mm-hmm. that has sat and said that doesn't know, doesn't have a relationship with the Savior. I'll say it just like that. Because there's no way in the world God who gives life would, uh, would tell you to kill a life he was responsible for, for putting on the planet. That ain't, that's just not, that's not true. All right. If you got a problem with that, take it up with God, yeah. amen, because, you know, don't, don't, yeah. don't call me with that. Take it up with him. He, he, he can handle that kind of stuff. <laughs> And, and he's merciful. He's 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 gracious, and he's loving enough to allow us. You know, some people say God is a God of a, of a of a second chance. Well, some of us needed way more than two. He's a God of another chance. And that is very true. Very Amen. true. So, well, we are yeah. we are bumping up against the end of our time for today. Um, normally, normally we have a longer show, but uh, we all have uh, places we got to scoot to today. Amen. Um, mm-hmm. So. Now where are you, where are you at? Where are you at in part of the country? Oh well, Thomas right now. Thomas is right sitting really nice and, and sunny Florida right now. Yeah, yeah, pretty. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I live in St. Louis, and that's where I am okay. right now. And okay. Melissa is at her home in Charlotte. Yes. Charlotte, North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah, well, that's right. Mama, yes. Well, my mama, my mama, my was in Fayetteville, and I, and I was. In Dillon, oh. South Carolina, before we moved to California, 65. So, yeah, I know about that yeah. Carolina people. Yeah, that's where yeah. all my family oh. root is at, Carolina. Yeah. But I'm in sunny California also. It's like 62 degrees, 70 degrees here. Oh. So we're, doing, we're doing all right. So. <laughs> Good for you guys out there. <laughs> yeah. Once again, before you go, thank you for this great opportunity. Uh well, pray, thank pray you very us. much. You know, we, we're going to ask we you to forward. come back to share a little bit more yes. about um, what you are doing uh, in the weeks to come, especially Amen. as we explore this uh, this lost fatherhood that a lot of men are experiencing through abortion. Amen. And Let's go get them. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's yes. Good. And we're going to... And with all right, we're gonna add, let's let's have this toss up. So Thomas and Melissa, um, yes, yes. we can do blind rock paper and scissors. Do we want the <laughs> hypocritical headline of today or the stupidest thing ever? And it's a trick question, actually. <laughs> How about merging the hypocritical headline of the day into the stupidest thing? <laughs> Oh, you too, you he's too it. smart. He's too smart. Y'all can't get to know what to do with him. <laughs> uh, trouble. Oh, yes. How, when, when was the last time you heard some feminists say, we women got to stick together and, uh, you know, uh, and hit on all men together and um, blah, 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 blah. Well, Ooh. after the State of the Union address on uh, Monday, I believe it was Monday, uh Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers gave in a response to Obama's speech. Talked about her son who has Down syndrome. Talk about talked about a life affirming strategy for people in Congress to to take. Basically her hopes that we would see the humanity in the unborn, no matter what conditions 
or what circumstances they're, they've come to be born from. Well, you can imagine what the liberal feminist reaction was. And nothing spells I love women more than uh, a feminist comedian who tweets out, tweeted out, I want to rip out the uterus of <laughs> McMorris Rodney yeah. and eat it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. Whoa. So, wow. so I can, oh, she goes on. So I can see the surprised look on her frigid face. Ugh. And she doubles, it, doubles down because obviously something like that isn't going to sit well with all of her fans. She doubles down and says, hey, you know, this is, if you're going to be uh, a congresswoman, remember it's feminists that allowed women to get those jobs. <clears throat> false, false. Um, I'm wow. pretty sure I'm going to lose a lot of followers if you don't get that. And she ties snidely says, I'll pray for you. I don't have to be nice to any woman that is pro-life. I will fight to defend the rights and ownership of my VJJ till the death. <laughs> really? Wow. Okay. Wow. So, happy, wow. happy feminist, I think. Uh, this is how women will actually kill, maim, dismember, and abort other women in life if they don't get their way or you don't agree with them 100%. So much for freedom of expression, so much for being your own woman. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was very hypocritical, and it is the Leticia. stupidest thing ever because, uh, yeah. <laughs> Leticia, uh, yeah. I was getting ready to add, that is the stupidest thing on top of being hypocritical. You wow. know? Right. I, I'm probably, I, I'm about 100% certain that this unknown comedian who nobody's ever heard of until today, uh, I'm not even going to say her name because she's not that, it doesn't even matter. Uh, she's trying to climb the ladder and achieve some kind of status that Silver, Sarah Silverman has I guess acclaimed to or attested to her, you know, with her, her Jesus videos and everything, making fun of Christians, and they're all just trying to outdo each other at this point. Um, but really, I'm going to ask who, at the end of the day, who has more hair on the floor, you know? <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> I have one question before we all go because I didn't watch the State of the Union. Address, but somebody please tell me that this is a lie. Did he really say I am the king in the State of the Union address? I don't think I, I he said hear. that. I, I, I didn't. Okay. I didn't listen to all of it from beginning to end. I caught most of the bulk of the middle of it. Uh, okay. To tell you the truth, I fell asleep. In the last 18 minutes. <laughs> shame. Shame, shame. I couldn't even bring myself to watch it. I, I, I didn't watch. I didn't watch. Okay. It. I didn't watch. I, I, I heard about it. I heard about but it on the newscast. I heard a lot of other whoppers. I heard a lot of whoppers. Basically, if you want the five second uh, condensed version of the State of the Union speech, it is, you know, I will try new ways to say shovel-ready, and yeah. I promise the Kool-Aid <laughs> tastes better the second time around. And that's oh, it. wow. That's it. it took him an hour to say that's that. Fun. 
Wow. It tastes better if you put ice in it, but if it's warmed over. <laughs> warm Kool-Aid. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have to bring our show this today, today to a close. I know I'm sad that we couldn't go longer today, but we will be back next week with more on Pro Life Fridays Radio. So I want to thank all our guests, or our guests, thank all our one guest, and my Thanks wonderful sure. co-host. And our wonderful audience, too. Have a good night. God bless, God bless everyone. Bye, Melissa. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye.